I looked upstairs and there was actually, I saw a gentleman quickly said, hey, I see you, I'm armed. Come out with your hands up. You know what, gang, this show has been on the air for over a year now, and I cannot say enough about how many times there's been a guest on this show who comes on and says, look, I got into a defensive encounter and I talked to the police or I I didn't know what to do when all the dust settled. Firearms legal protection is there so you can win the fight after the fight and you're able to carry on with your life. It is the only defensive legal membership that active self-protection recommends, and there's a reason for that. They're committed to helping you train and educate yourself. And that's why they're invested in bringing these educational and training uh, podcasts and videos to you. Please thank them for their support and consider them for your needs. Check their plans out at get-asp.com slash FLP. Get-asp.com forward slash FLP. Well, already, gang, welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am yet again your host, Mike Wolliver, and I remain your favorite former fed with us today a new friend of mine his name is mike mike is from the los angeles area um a beautiful sunny southern california which is being governed just as well as any possible area could ever be (laughs) just kidding he is a business owner and he has uh married with three kids mike how are you sir great how are you doing today mike i'm doing well thank you for reaching out your story sounds really interesting to me um before we get started obviously i always like to ask about the history of the, the person that i'm talking to so in your case um I understand firearms were utilized during your story. So obviously you have some familiarity with guns. How long have you been shooting? I've been shooting probably since I was a young teenager with my dad and my uncle. Nothing too serious, just um, local shooting ranges. Okay. And um, from there I took off. I started doing uh, competition shooting, like USPSA style, action pistol, and uh, just fell in love with it. And now – Consumes my life. <laughs> Very nice. So are, are, do you have any ambitions to try to get a CCW in Los Angeles? You don't have to answer that if you don't want to. I'm just curious. I actually uh, I actually got one. Nice. And I'm still looking for the pigs that are flying. I don't yeah. see them. But um, <clears throat> it took me took me 18 months to get it. Um, I practiced for CCW since my daughter was born for about 11 years. Mm-hmm. I practiced for it. So, um, But I finally got it about six months, six months ago and happy to have it. So I know in other places like New York, notoriously New York, you know, they were forced by the Supreme Court decision, the Bruin decision to start loosening up their CCW requirements. But they're now they're now putting try to be putting up roadblocks for New Yorkers, like saying that, you know, naming all these different places as sensitive areas where you can't carry, saying a business owner has to positively put up a sign in their window saying guns are OK here, which is weird. Never heard of that before. Uh, you know, in Arizona, we have all sorts of places where, you know, malls and restaurants where they have a sign that says, please don't bring firearms in. And I suggest people give those signs the regard that they're due if they're concealed carrying. I agree with that. Um, and so uh, is there anything like that to your knowledge going on in California or the L.A. County where they're trying to 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 um, confound your ability to carry in public? Yes, I'm not an expert on it. From what I understand, they tried, got shut down. I think it was SB1. I think they've introduced, I believe, SB2 now, which is the same thing, revised how they needed to. And, um, I, you know, I don't pay attention until it gets a little further on. Right. There's so many. It's just California is like a new gun law every day. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't pass. I think it was ruled unconstitutional in New York, right? Yes. So, okay. we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens. I know New York City we'll in particular is kind of doing its own thing. That You know, New York State yeah. is kind of run by New York City, even though most of the state 
and the city don't have a lot in common politically or, or otherwise, but that's a story for another time. So uh, the incident at hand, it was more than one incident. Is that right? It's actually four incidents. Three of them involved us. One of them didn't, was just the police, but there's four incidents in total. Okay, so talk um, talk us yeah. through what was going on, and there was a property involved. Whose property was it? What were you guys trying to do, and what was going on? Yeah, so this is an investment property that me and my brother owned in Los Angeles, and um, this kind of set the stage. This is a multi million dollar home, and um, it was rented out for a while, then it went vacant, and <clears throat> you know we, there was a for sale sign out on the house. And from what we've been told is there's people that will go out on these apps, find houses that are for sale and either rob them, go take expensive uh, utilities or like, you know, stoves, fridges, or even squat in them. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so we had some intruders that were getting into this house. They at one point really wreaked havoc and it spray painted. There was blood in the house, et cetera. We could not figure out how they're getting in. Um, Eventually, we switched the cameras out to be straight to the cloud. So even if they pulled power or anything like that, we would still get the clip. Um, <clears throat> so after they, this large you know, intrusion that they really destroyed things, we set that up. <clears throat> I got a alert at 6 in the morning that they were there at 3.30 in the morning. So my brother at the time lived much closer than I did. So I called him, had him go over there. He's armed as well. He's not as trained or <clears throat> into guns as me, but he, I've shown him a little bit. So he got there first. Um, I got there from the time I saw the cameras to when I actually got there, about 30 minutes. Um, I didn't think they were still going to be inside, but uh, obviously still played it safe. Um, in hindsight, I wish I had looked through the camera footage maybe a little bit more before I got there, but there was a lot going on. I had to drive and <clears throat> get there. Um, give me a second. Take your time. Yeah, no problem. I'll join you. And then, um, so, I, so then I get there. Um, to sh the house is has an exterior gate uh, that opens up on both sides. Mm -hmm. I get my brother was on the inside of this gate. Not that I would agree with it. He was kind of standing there with his gun out. Luckily, it's a gated community. I mean, gated, like there's a gate in the house, or else that would have been a maybe a bad situation that he right. got himself into. Um, anyway, I got there. I actually had a bulletproof backpack that I have with me. It's just level three A, and I had a that I keep. I kind of keep it as a emergency kind of daily carry kind of thing. And uh, so I just had grabbed that when I was on my way out. Um, pulled that in front of me, and I told my brother, "I'm just gonna, you know, I don't think they're here, but I'm gonna since there's only two of us, I'm gonna just quickly clear this first floor, and we'll go up together and see what's going on at the second story." Um, so we went in. And I started to just kind of quickly clear the first floor and not take my time on it. Just wanted to be a kind of more of an element of surprise if they were there. Mm -hmm. um, so as I did that, started coming back towards my brother. <clears throat> I looked upstairs and there was actually, I saw a gentleman and uh, quickly said, hey, I see you. I'm armed. Come out with your hands up. He did not listen, just went right into the room. My brother got covered kind of like in the front of the house. And uh, stayed there. I was kind of across from him. So we're kind of facing each other. And, you know, I'm a little angry at this point from these guys breaking in. And I didn't want them to escape or get away. I wanted to, the police to capture them and hopefully take them to jail. Right. So I figured that guy that I saw was going to jump out the window. So I 
ran to the backyard and hang the side of the house to try to see if he was going to jump. And if he was going to jump, I don't know what I was going to do, but try to catch him. Right. Um, as I did that, my brother started yelling at somebody inside. So I quickly just ran back inside to see what was going on with that situation. I didn't, even if there was somebody else, who cares, right? My brother's inside. Um, as I did that, I think at that moment, I only thought there was one person. And this is kind of why <clears throat> actually I'd reach out to you guys. You know, I've been watching you guys for years and uh, I've always made a point to try to never get the tunnel vision to one suspect or one person or anything like that. And I've always thought about it, but unfortunately it happened to me, I think. And I thought there was one when there was actually two. So <clears throat> this guy that was arguing with my brother now, uh, <clears throat> I kind of joined sports with my brother. We obviously are not going upstairs because this guy was up, you know, they're kind of across from each other. It's not, a, it's, there's no cover to get upstairs mm -hmm. really safely. So we're just kind of staying at the bottom floor. I had called 911 already. Um, luckily, the backpack I had had a perfect insert right in front of it. I could just put it on speakerphone, have it hands free, talk to the police, okay. and have my hands. Um, <clears throat> so from there, um, the house has two staircases that meet up to the top. Um, so this guy starts, there's a, the guy that's in there starts arguing, saying like, you know, cussing, who, who the F are you guys, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I kind of wanted to figure out where he was at this point. So me and my brother did go up these stairs separately and um, started getting up the stairs. I had my flat, I had a, a weapon in the mouth of the light. <clears throat> Thank God. Cause he had, um, they had closed all the drapes in the house. All the lights were off. <clears throat> And uh, so I was creeping up the stairs and finally thought I had spotted him. And I, but it was, he was a very dark individual in a dark room on a dark flooring. Mm -hmm. So I really couldn't tell if he was a person or not. Um, <clears throat> but finally I could tell from the glistening through his eyes mm -hmm. from the flashlight that it was okay. a human. Um, then, you know, told the police exactly what's going on. That we had them at gunpoint as soon as they came in we would put our you know put our firearms down and um back off and everything so the police did come they were very respectful they you know that they entered with a team with the shield and um they were pretty respectful and uh let's see here from there they we went outside they came in arrested the individual he actually had a knife that he had next to him that he had opened up and it was right next to him. I don't know what he was thinking with that. You know, um, probably quickly thought it was a bad idea. Thank, yeah. thank God. Didn't want to get shot um, that day. <laughs> so from there, uh, let's see. I had a. I also had in another firearm on me. So we we put our firearms down. Mm -hmm. The police came at the on the staircase. They came in. We backed off. I had another firearm in uh, appendix carry. I let the, let it, one of the police officers know that. He took it from me, didn't really mind care, put it right in my car. Um, from there, he got arrested and taken off. And then he was back two days later. All right. So, so let, me, let me stop you there. So yep. I know people in the audience are yelling uh, at their smartphones and their tablets right now asking, why wouldn't you just wait for the police to get there? So since they're asking, I'll ask you. So I'm, I'm certain sure. they're asking. Why not just uh, wait outside and wait for the police to come and check the place? Was it, this wasn't the first time they'd broken in, obviously. Uh, no, it wasn't. 
I I'll be honest, 50%, I didn't think they were there. I didn't think they stuck around for three and a half hours. I thought they were, at that moment, I thought they're going to come, take something, do what they were on, and they were out. I didn't think they're going to stay. That's pretty much it. That's really the reason. And then inside the house, as you were clearing it, was there any furniture or furnishings, or was it just an empty house? It, it's a sta- it was staged. Um, furniture was staged in the house to sell it, so it had it had furniture. Okay. Um, so we'll talk about that lesson later on, but just before I forget, um, you know, just like I say, when p- police officers respond to a man with a gun call, um, I always advise them to treat it as though there is a man with a gun and act accordingly. Um, so I, I would also say in your case, you know, if you saw somebody was there, just assume they're still there, right? Until you mm-hmm. know they're not there. Um, just, just be in that, to be in that mindset is probably for the best. Yeah. So they I mean, that's back. kind of, that, that is why I entered the way I did. Yeah. But I guess I, I yeah, in hindsight, I should have maybe, I'll, I'll tell you the, that, um, never mind. <laughs> no, that's going. okay. What? Go ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I don't know, you know, again, as we continue the story, you'll see the theme that even the police hands are tied in a way that, you know, if they come and get them and take them, this guy, he keeps coming back and no matter what. So, yeah, I would, assume- and sometimes, and I'll tell you, sometimes the police would not respond for five, six hours. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would assume I worked in the state of California. I did file some cases on the state side. So I would assume that he was charged with something rather low level, like burglary of an Tre- occupied dwelling or something like that, that. I think they just lowered it down in trespassing. Yeah. That's each time. kind of what it was. If it had been occupied, maybe it would have been, bur- I think it's burglary, but whatever. Um, Oh yeah, I mean there was things missing. They were they they did take things many times right. for sure. Okay, so, but, that's yeah. burglary every day of yeah. the week. So he gets arrested. He gets carted off, and you said he came right back re- uh, shortly thereafter. So yeah, that was the end of that night. And then two days later, uh, here we go again. Cameras are going off again, and he's back. And um, this time, the police responded really quickly and got there, and and arrested him right away, like okay. within thirty minutes. Which is not likely. We, we, for many instances I've had out here, either commercial or residential, they take quite a long time. And I don't blame them. They're they're very busy and short staffed, from what I understand right now, especially. Yeah. So the, the when they did show up, what time of day was that when they were able to get there so quickly? This was. was uh, I had got there at six thirty in the morning, so they probably came maybe thirty minutes after that or something. Maybe okay. Seven o'clock. So it was early. Yeah, it was early in the morning. That, yeah. Oh, oh you talking about the second incident or yeah, the first the second incident? one? Second one. The second one, I'm not too sure. It was probably it was probably in the middle of the night, as I'm gonna guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And people people don't expect there to be burglars at six in the morning or three in the morning, but when yeah. one uh, ingests enough methamphetamine, one stays up for days at a time and doesn't make good mm-hmm. decisions and does things at all sorts of crazy hours. So Oh yeah. You know, in his belongings that he had we found that that first time, there was drugs and all kinds of stuff like that. So I guess yeah, my other question was gonna be so when you finally get to see this guy, does he appear like a gangbanger criminal type or like a homeless vagrant type or just a meth addled? Uh, I think he was, was like a homeless type. He, he was, uh, he actually was, um, I think he was from Nigeria. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure he was very, very, uh, dark. He had a little bit of accent to him. And, um, and I'll say, you know, as we go through the story, when me and my brother would encounter him, he would be fully there talking normal cops show up and he would be uh act like he's completely stupid and you know just 
Yeah, it's a pretty common theme, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, I was the cop that got to show up and deal with stuff like that <laughs> back in the day. I'm sure. So they, he comes back a second time. He gets arrested. Um, did you respond out to the house for that one, or did you just the police call? And say, hey, um, I think I was like going to. And I still did go there to meet with the cops. I believe it was me and my brother, mm-hmm. but they had got him right away. So, I mean, nothing, nothing to do there. So you never saw him again after that. Uh, no, we just saw him again after oh, that. Oh no, you're kidding. Okay, well, tell us. About, oh, yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I knew. I knew he saw him again. Yeah. Um, so that was that. Then he then he got arrested, and then he was back about 30 days later, yet again. Um, we finally figured out that he was probably getting into the doggy door, but and, I, and this doggy door is tiny. So when I say tiny, it was a Chihuahua. So I don't even know how they were doing it. Some, but they were they did it. Um, so the third time he came in, me and my brother responded again. Um, this was in the middle of the night. Uh, I think earlier, like maybe like 11 or 12, not, not early morning. Um, so we knew he was inside. We went inside, we went there. I was on the phone with the police on the way there, you know, told him I'm going to wait outside. This time I did not make entry because I knew he was inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, waited outside this night. There happened to unfortunately be there was a CHP officer that got shot um, locally. Mm-hmm. So they were everyone was hunting for him and good good for them. Go hunt for that guy. Right. So they you know, I was hanging out in front of this house for two hours waiting for a police officer. It was me and my brother. Um and lo and behold, he actually just walked out of the house and I just reacted. I just I didn't think about it, I just reacted, pulled up to him, told him to get on the ground. Gunpoint. In hindsight, maybe not the best idea, but um, it happened. <laughs> uh, he, he got on the ground for a while. He thought I think he thought that I was an officer, and me and my brother were officers when this happened. Mm-hmm. The way he was reacting, right? But you know, I'm a I'm a calm person. My brother is maybe not as calm as me, mm-hmm. so he started talking a little smack to him after this many times, and um, then he realized we were not officers, and and um, he actually uh, started saying, cussing back at us, and he actually he actually said, "Don't worry, I'll be back." Um, wow! So that really was starting to piss me off, but it is what it is. And then you know we we're on the phone with police. Police came, um, arrested him, and that was the for that night. They they and talk then, about uh, a revolving door of justice in California. This is a, this is probably the best example I've ever heard. Um, I I this I mean. I've been talking about, even known about this issue before this happened, and then it happened to me personally, and so I really saw it firsthand. Uh, what, what, the lack of, yeah. Let me ask you, what do you think? Well, be, let me digress for a moment. You know, it's one thing when the guy mm-hmm. breaks in once; it's not a res, it's not an occupied residence. You know, you could you could kind of write it off to well, he was looking for a place to sleep, and it's not the end of the world because it's not the end of the world. It's not great someone's breaking into this house, but yeah. it wasn't like he was there to kill anyone or steal anything. So the third time this person does it in the same, for some reason in the same house and some, some crooks get like fixated on stuff like that. So, Oh yeah. He, when the cops would show up, he, he was pretend like it was his house. He said, this is my house. I live here. Okay. So uh, any idea what his motives were? Did he steal anything? Did he rip copper out of yeah, the they, wall? Yeah. They stole many things. Like in, I don't know if it was them that stole it. There was a, a rather like a big refrigerator and free and freezer that were stolen. Um, rather expensive i don't know if it was them or not this was like a couple months before that um but then after that yes like cameras were stolen the routers vacuums 
some furniture, either some destroyed, things like that. That's maddening. You know, I, yeah. one thing I can't stand is a thief. Someone who thinks that they can just help themselves to the things you work so hard for is really absolutely well, aggravating. The worst part of it is that the house was in escrow at the time, and I had to disclose these break-ins to the buyer, and the buyer backed out. Wow. And and in that time frame, the market turned. So that's as far as finances, that's the worst part of finances. You really cost lots of money that way. Yeah, I can, ima- I can imagine that could be tens of thousands of dollars, potentially, um, depending on the time. Even, even north of that. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's enough. I'm sorry to hear that. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. Um, it's okay. So was this guy finally ever hauled off for good and not to return or what ended up happening? So no, th- that was the third time. And then he came back another, I think like 40 days later after that, he came back again. I was actually not in town this time. Mm-hmm. So it was my brother and my uncle responded this time. They, they called the cops every time, but they still respond right away. And uh, actually, I'm sorry. I don't think they called the cops this time. They responded and um, he, he had he was there. He left. They were hanging out in front of the house. And he actually had the audacity to walk back up to the front of the house wow. to them. My brother at, the, at this time, he was armed and had a taser. Just got him at taser point and got him handcuffed. And called the cops and um police came and, and i was a little nervous because he was uh saying hey you guys are kidnapping me and then so I was, a little, I was watching this all on camera while it was happening mm-hmm. but luckily the police came and you know he said hey they're kidnapping me and told him to shut the fuck up so well there you go <laughs> they were they had enough of him too i think it was the same the, officer that caught him three times so. the lapd had finally was it lapd or some other agency? yeah lapd okay yeah and, and, and trust me they were getting frustrated themselves they you know they're arresting someone or not even just this instance having discussions with them about what's going on you know they're doing their work and then they're letting right up and that's the hardest thing um it's like anything else you know people go to the movies for internet for a quick analogy they go to the movies and the popcorn is 37 dollars. who do they complain to they complain to the the pimple-faced teenager behind the counter mm-hmm. who has nothing to do no say over the cost of the popcorn right he just gets yeah. he or she gets to hear it from the public and the police officers have no control. Once they arrest someone and book them in, they have no control other than, you know, doing normal follow-up. They have no control over how long they're detained for, whether or not they're charged with a crime, whether or not it goes to trial or they accept a plea. The police just have to be, and then they have to be the ones to come back and, and see like, yeah, Mike, sorry. Yeah. He's back. So I did what I could. And you rightfully could have been upset. Like, why isn't this guy still in jail after all these times? Yeah. I, I, I you seem like a reasonable guy. And I, I know you probably didn't yell and scream at the cops, but no, that, my brother was yelling at them. And I was trying to tell my brother, it's not their fault. And exactly what you were saying. It's not, you know, and, and he got it after a while, but he, yeah. Yeah. That's the, just the thing. Um, you know, you, you do your best as a law enforcement officer. I was a local for a while, then a fed for a long time. And the hardest thing to do is to go, back and talk to uh, a victim of a crime uh, or the, the, you know, the, uh, the offended party, the injured party and tell them, yeah, really nothing's basically nothing's going to happen because it didn't quite meet the guidelines for prosecution or the person pled out, you know, to, to a lesser included offense. So, you know, if he'd have gone in your house and burned it to the ground and they only charged him with burglary and he got six months, it's that kind of thing, you know, where you'd be like, wait, what? He burned my house down. Like, well, we got him though. Okay. Did you really though? Um, so any, any more issues with this guy since then? Uh, no, thankfully we finally sold the house after that. And, um, you know, after that last incident, we kind of had people hanging around the house a lot more. Um, 
either even just con either from contractors to family to whatever it might be. Um, so less opportunity for him. And uh, we finally got rid of it. So you we sold got. the house. So have you heard from the new owners? Are they complaining about their new <laughs> guest? No, I think that if I heard from them, it'd probably be in a lawsuit. So yeah. uh, thankfully no. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good news. So you continue. Can I, can I ask the, the first time or any of the times that you responded? Um, what, what was your everyday carry? What were you carrying and what caliber was it? Sure. Um, well, when I responded the first time, I, I, my normal, most carry, most of the time what I carry is an M&P shield. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a, unfortunately in California, we have a handgun roster. You probably, a lot of people might know uh -huh. about. We're very limited on what we can buy at ease. Um, but uh, when I responded in the, in the backpack, I had a CZ uh, P09 okay. uh, with a full 20 round mag and flashlight and everything on it and does, ready to go. Does California still have the 10, 10 round magazine limit or no? Is that done with? Uh, of course they do. Okay. It's being contested. It's going back and forth right now. We'll see what happens, I think, on that one. And I don't remember the specifics, but I, I could have swore that the gun roster had been done away with or almost got done away with. Do you know anything about that? I think it, yes, it did. Then they they fought they filed an appeal or something, I believe, and that but they left out the micro stamping portion of it. So we, I think there's a few things that handle the uh, make the roster. You need to have drop safe, a bullet uh, chamber indicator, loaded chamber indicator, mm -hmm. um, magazine disconnect, and then they added micro stamping. And then I th in this appeal, they didn't appeal the micro stamping part. So now we're actually starting to see some guns finally come back on the roster after a very long time of nothing. Okay. That's good. And hopefully we just get rid of it. Yeah. For regular listeners um, to the Gutowski files, which you should stick around for when I'm done talking to Mike here. Um, we discussed that not too long ago, a few months ago about micro stamping and how it literally isn't a thing. There's, there's no such thing as micro stamping. It doesn't exist. They can't, they've right. not worked out any technology that will um, put an imprint on the round or on the casing other than normal ballistics. So, um, it's kind of like telling you, um, you know, yeah, Mike, you have to have a car, but it has to be nuclear powered. Or otherwise you can't buy mm -hmm. a car. And you're like, well, that doesn't exist. How am I supposed to get a car? Too bad. That's the law, um, that we've, we've yeah. decided for you here in California. You're going to say, I think, I think they, they, they made the law because just one manufacturer sh showed a proof of concept on it right. and that's all they wanted to, uh, allow that law to pass. It's yeah, crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I thank you so much for reaching out. As I, as I say every week, if it weren't for people like you, um, fans of the channel and people who act, uh, are good, moral, good, sane, sober, moral, prudent people who exercise their rights in a responsible way, um, and then reaching out to me, we wouldn't have a podcast. Um, I think almost certainly some people uh, listening to this at home, in their car, at work, got a good mental rep out of this. Um, is there anything you wanted to add before we parted ways or any advice you have for people who are trying to sell a million dollar house and they have a frequent guest? <laughs> uh, my advice to everybody, I'm a, you know, second amendment advocate is for everyone to, that is can and willing to get armed, to get trained and, and carry a gun, just like you guys preach. And I, and secondly, I want to thank you guys. I've been watching you guys for years and I think, you know, just watching you guys getting that mental reps of all these things that you guys teach really help me in that day and just throughout life. Awesome. Every time I hear that from a guest, I pass it along to John and Neil and Steph and everybody else. So they're always happy to yes. hear that. Mike, thanks again. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great day. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Gutowski Files starring Stephen Gutowski. He is the 
founder of TheReload.com and the host of the weekly Reload podcast. Stephen, trick question. You know what it's going to be? Who was on the Re- weekly Reload podcast this week? Um, this week, well, see, this is this is also where it gets complicated because it's like. Right. By the time this As airs, we're recording this week, yes. Hmm. Um, the most recent get well, we we're gonna have somebody on from the Atlantic who wrote in defense of hunting, which is, uh, um, I think, going to be an interesting episode. But that's mm-hmm. technically haven't recorded that one yet. So the previous week was Cam Edwards. Oh, no kidding! Arms. That's one available right now as of recording. Uh, he was a, a, a frequent guest. Um, edits bearing arms, so he's. Closely follows politics of guns uh, as well. And uh, it's always nice to talk to him. He's one of my favorite writers. And uh, I go on his show a lot. He has his own show and has had a show, Cam and Company, for years that people should check out if they haven't. But uh, they can check out the episode of the Reloads podcast if they want to find out a little, about, a little bit about Cam and get his perspective and understanding. We talked about President Biden's um, new proposal from the ATF that deals with who has to get a license in order to sell used guns. Mm -hmm. So the president's trying to push in or push out, expand that to capture a lot more people. At least that's what it seems like. And Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a whole nother fight over executive uh, gun action now. Well, Cam Edwards, who I think I dare to say a lot of our audience would have heard that name before and know his work. And then a guy from the Atlantic, Stephen Gutowski, is uh, is getting it done? That's very very fancy. I've never had anyone from the Atlantic on on my humble yes. little podcast. So <laughs> Adam um, Exum, I believe, is his, is his name. He wrote this very interesting piece in defense of hunting. And actually, me and my girlfriend just signed up for a hunter safety course uh, here at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. Nice. Uh, actually, like a week or two. So I figured it would be a good melding to have some, and also writing in defense of hunting in a magazine like the Atlantic is not something that you see very often. Sure. So it's interesting. Yeah, indeed. So this week we are discussing an article over at thereload.com, the title of which is Federal Judge Upholds Gun Ban for Drug Use. And I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm sure you do as well, Stephen. Um, and it was a federal district judge. Uh, C.J. Williams was fa- uh, found an Iowa man's challenge of federal prohibition uh, on its face failed. So what he found in the case was that uh, someone who is a marijuana user, it is constitutional to per, per, Prohibit them from owning guns. Am I correct? Is that about what he had to say here? Yeah, more or less. Um, you know, he was kind of the, the challenge was to the face of this law is just saying that this prohibition on anyone who's a drug user owning guns for life essentially is how how that prohibition works. But that they would be uh, that that's unconstitutional all the way through. And we've talked about it in the past. A couple of judges have agreed that it is unconstitutional under the new standard that the Supreme court handed down in Bruin. And so uh, now we've also had a couple of judges go the other way, including this judge uh, out in Iowa, where he said, no, this is not unconstitutional on its face that, uh, you know, he talks, he talks about a couple of things. There's a, in the circuit that he's in, there's already a case that looked at drug users and the prohibition on them owning guns. Of course that was from before Bruin, but he claimed that this federal judge said, you know, I'm not going to do anything about that until the, the higher court takes action to overturn their own precedent, essentially, is, is kind of his reasoning. But he's but then he went on to say, 
as judges sometimes do, that even if the precedent didn't exist, he would still uphold this law as constitutionally compared drug users, uh, unlawful drug users to uh, mentally ill in the terms of their threat to society because they don't have the same level of self-control as other people do. Um, and so therefore they, sh- they uh, are dangerous and can be barred from owning guns was sort of the base logic here. Um, and so, yeah, pretty, pretty important ruling and important in the broader context that we've been talking about uh, with these post-Bruin cases and especially focused on that federal drug user prohibition. Yeah. You know, I can say uh, unequivocally from many decades in law enforcement that, uh, you know, stuff like meth, cocaine, crack, um, heroin, certainly are, are just terrible things to put into your system. And they, they lead to, ruined families and lost jobs and prison and all sorts of bad stuff. Um, and marijuana just isn't, I, this is just me editorializing. I don't think it should be in the same category as those other things. Um, ask me how many violent domestic disputes I responded to because somebody was high on marijuana versus drunk. And the answer is zero of them. Um, so I, I think at some point the federal government, no matter, seems no matter who the president is, what administration we're under refuses to, even soften the blow as far as marijuana laws go. I don't know why uh, a ton of states have made it, you know, legal recreationally. So I guess my question is, and this, this happened not recently or has happened recently. We, we discussed um, the short barreled rifle problem of it not being a consistent guidance from the ATF. Don't you think this could lead to some confusion among people in the various states? Cause there's, there's federal judges at the same level who were deciding that prohibition should stay in effect and others that say that it shouldn't. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, a couple points, I guess, on, on, on that stuff. First off to your question there. It, I mean, it's a little bit different the ATF because the, you know, the ATF itself giving you different uh, responses for how they're going to interpret and enforce a, a law can have uh, legal implications down the line when judges do it, right. When you have judges that come to different conclusions in different parts of the country at different levels of the federal judiciary, that is meant to be, I mean, that's part of the system, right? Right. And it's meant to be resolved by the next court up Mm -hmm. making a decision. Right. And then if they're at that higher level, the, the appeals court level, you know, the circuit level, if they disagree with each other, then that's, that's what the Supreme Court is for, and they're right. supposed to be the ultimate right. right. So that ultimately, and I think that hits on a good point, right? Ultimately, the Supreme Court will probably have to deal with this. Um, you know, they they're dealing with it now uh, in a case about the domestic violence restraining order gun prohibition uh, because of the Fifth Circuit panel uh, said that was unconstitutional, and uh, they'll probably have to deal with this question at some point down the line. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I guess is uh, well one there's actually been some news on the federal government seeking to uh i guess lower the schedule that marijuana is in mm-hmm. uh, and i do think it's important that people might have seen this news and even if it does happen uh people should keep in mind that that would not actually change anything in terms of the legality of owning guns while being a marijuana user on this question because uh, it would have to be descheduled. My understanding at least. Right. That's correct. Be taken completely off instead of just lower down the schedule list. Um, but I guess there is some movement on that front. And then, um, yeah, it's, it, the other interesting thing about this particular judge 
at least reading through his opinion that I found was that he wasn't, he wasn't looking at this as a marijuana user case, right? Uh, you know, he, he wasn't looking at it to distinguish marijuana from other kinds of drug use. He was, seemed like he was looking at it from, if I say this law is unconstitutional, that means it's unconstitutional for all drug use. Sure. So, you know, the hardest drugs you could imagine, some of the ones you listed out there would be included in that. And, uh, and I mean, that's true, right? That would be the, how the a ruling like that would come down. So he seemed like he wasn't comfortable doing, going that far. He did allow for the defendant in this case to, he, to make an as applied challenge. So a facial challenge is when you say this law is just unconstitutional, regardless of how it gets applied. To right. Uh, and as applied challenge, right. As the name suggests is when you say how this is being enforced against me personally is not constitutional. And so that's where uh, I guess this judge left open a path to challenge it based on the fact that this guy only is accused of using marijuana and not any other sort of harder, harder drugs. And so that, uh, but he said that I have to wait until an actual trial was held. This is a decision that was put out before, you know, you got to the merits of this case against him for owning guns while being, uh, you know, a pot user. And so the judge said, no, I'm not going to throw out the law altogether. Uh, yes, you can pursue this argument that because it's just marijuana, that the law is unconstitutional in that regard as it's applied to you, but you got to do that at trial. I'm not going to make that decision at this point. So, uh, you know, in that sense, it's, it's pretty interesting to me because, uh, you know, he's kind of saying, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of thing is kind of how it comes across to me, at least when I read that opinion. Yeah, concur. Um, do you think we'll see follow-ups? So is, do, you, do you happen to know if this particular case, it's a federal case, it's a 922, which is the federal statute for basically prohibited possessor of one sort or another, felon in possession is the one I used to charge with some regularity. Um, will, will we be able to follow up on this case and find out exactly where this lands on this particular case? Most likely, yeah. Um, this was... Yeah, this is another interesting one, right? Bruin opened up sort of the floodgates for these kinds of cases because, uh, in in large part, because it's meant to put the burden of proof on the government to show that the law itself is constitutional, that it's consistent with the nation's history of gun regulation. And so a lot of public defenders can raise this as a defense to their clients who end up in the, you know, getting uh, stuck with these sorts of charges where, uh, they, the public defender doesn't have to expend a lot of resources or money do, doing the research on the historical application of gun laws. The government's supposed to do that. And so you've seen a lot of cases where, and I believe this is one of them, where public defenders are using uh, the Second Amendment rights claim uh, against these kinds of charges. Uh, and so I, I would expect to see that continue through the rest of this case as it uh, comes into play uh, at the the actual trial phase of the the case and then uh, perhaps on appeal as well if, if it gets to that so uh, and then of course you know th- this is one case there's a bunch of other ones right that are even further along on this question where the judges have actually sided with the defendants uh and you know and of course there's a one very high profile potential uh case in this realm as well which we've talked about before too with with the president's son hunter biden mm-hmm potentially facing these exact same charges, although he's accused of using um, crack cocaine instead of marijuana. But, uh, you know, that he had a plea deal that fell apart 
and we, we don't know exactly what's going to come out of that yet. Uh, and we, we may well see him have to fight these exact same kind of charges. And so there might be a lot more attention paid to this sort of thing because of the nature of, of a case like that. Uh, in the near future here. Sure. And I just want to clarify, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, to make a direct uh, comparison between court cases and ATF rules. It's just that the, the yeah. average person has to pay a lot of attention all the time mm-hmm. in order to stay, to not run afoul of the law potentially. I, I guarantee you there's yeah. millions of people across the country who were guilty of this because they didn't realize once pot became legal and they started using it recreationally or even medicinally for that matter, that it would they would it would strip them of their Second Amendment rights. So um, I think this is of some interest to probably some of our listeners. Stephen, oh, absolutely. I, I, I want to, and, and also too, I would uh, just real quick sure. on that point. Like sometimes your legislators will even tell you something's legal when it's not. Uh, you might, uh, and then this comes up in the Second Amendment community <laughs> fairly frequently, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw this in Kansas a while back, where they purported to legalize silencers, uh, suppressors, right? And um, it's similar to how states have legalized pot. Pot is legal or decriminalized in a lot of states now, but every time that happens, and we we wrote about this back when Minnesota did it, was they were most recent ones. Uh, The ATF will put out a little statement that's like, hey, uh, yeah, it's great that your local authorities have have decided that this is not going to be criminal punishment anymore, but the feds haven't done that and they can still go after you. And it is weird, right? Because especially with weed, because there's like legal businesses that operate and sell it in a lot of States where it's decriminalized or legalized, uh, even though that's technically illegal at the federal level. Um, and so, yeah, it can be very hard to keep up with. And then with this, the suppressor thing, you know, uh, there've been a couple of States that have passed these laws that say, well, as long as the suppressor is made in, and sold in within our state borders, the federal uh, regulations on it from the National Firearms Act don't apply. And, uh, well, the federal government does not take that position at all. Well, I mean, I, I, you have to ask if it's, if nothing's crossing state lines. I mean, I assume they – look, the feds – I was a fed. You can always find a tie-in to interstate commerce. You know, did you – did did, well, did the, the steel that made up the part commerce. come from Pennsylvania and make its way into, you know, Kansas and the, whatever? Um, sure. You're saying that's and that's the theory that they pass these laws under. The problem with that theory is that the National Firearms Act is not based off of interstate commerce uh, power of the federal government. It's based on the taxing power. The Mm -hmm. NFA, as much as nobody actually treats it this way, (laughs) including the ATF, because if you recall the pistol brace ban, they they waived the tax. But the law is a tax. Mm -hmm. It's a tax on these different devices. And uh, so it's derived from the taxing power of the the federal government, which is not as sort of constitutionally questionable as the interstate commerce stuff is. Um, And and so, uh, you know, they they did this. They tried to do this in Kansas. And a couple of guys actually went through and believed their legislators and tested this. And they were convicted of federal felonies. Um, and the state abandoned them in the process, the same lawmakers who Wonderful. told them it was fine. So that, you know, it, it can be very hard. You know, it, you can even have your, your local elected representative can tell you, yeah, it's, this is legal now. Look at this law we passed. And uh, it's not always how that works out in practice, unfortunately. So, you know, to your point, it, 
it can be hard to follow as a normal person. So you're saying that those state legislators who made that statement did not come to this man's aid and show up at his trial and say, no, 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 I said, I told him he could do this. No, they didn't. They didn't do that. Um, And, you know, Texas passed a similar law. Now, Texas did it in a slightly uh, more responsible way and, uh, you know, had the state AG's office, uh, it, the law didn't go into effect in, until the, the a lawsuit played out. And that, I don't believe that's come to a fruition yet. But, uh, you know, it's just the point is, you know, you got to really understand all these things before you dive into them or you might you might catch uh, some some nasty charges that you weren't expecting. And it can and it is hard. And that's why you need to keep up with it, unfortunately, uh, just like anything else. I and mean, it's not the only area of of life where you got to keep up, but it can be hard, hard for us. Even, you, right? You've set so. me up for a perfect segue. So if you are out there trying to keep up with the many ever change, with the ever changing landscape of the firearms community in the second amendment, you owe it to yourself to go over to the reload.com, the reload.com, just to, it's spelled just like it sounds and give Steven's um, website there a look and consider becoming a member. He relies on his members to fund his important work. Excuse me. <coughs> no cough button here. Um, to, to fund his important work. So, you know, if this stuff matters to you and getting honest, sane, sober, down-the-middle reporting on this stuff without any hype, without any any unnecessary political bend is important to you, uh, you owe it to yourself and to the firearms community to go over there, give him a look, and consider getting a membership. Uh, he's doing the work that I don't think anyone else is doing. I don't think anyone else is in his lane exactly. So, uh, once again, thereload.com. Stephen, hope you have a wonderful week, sir. And as always, you have the last word. Absolutely.